uh, a pastor that wasn't a great preacher. You know, sometimes you have great pastors that aren't necessarily great preachers and great preachers that aren't necessarily great pastors. This guy was not a good preacher. He, he had a tendency to go long and just, just really just stretch his messages out for far too long. He was long-winded. And then what he had to say a lot of times didn't make a lot of sense. It seemed almost incoherent. Uh, one Sunday he had preached uh, such a message and uh, uh, on, uh, on the way out, as people were leaving, he was at the back door. He greeted one of his faithful church members and he said, hey, um, what'd you think of the sermon today? Uh, his friend didn't want to hurt his feelings, but neither did he want to lie to him. So real quickly, he thought of a great way to say how he felt. And so he told his pastor, he said, well, pastor, all I can say is during your sermon, all I could think of was God's love and God's peace. All I could think of was God's love and God's peace. And the pastor just thought that was the greatest compliment. And he said, that's awesome. Uh, explain what you mean by that. Now the guy has to go ahead and, and, and tell the truth. And he goes, well, your sermon reminded me of the love of God because it seemed to last forever. And your sermon reminded me of the peace of God because it passed all understanding. Now I, I really hope that my message won't be like that today, but we're uh, in week two of a series of messages called Peace on Earth, Goodwill Toward Men. You might remember that that was the declaration that the angels made as they appeared there in the Bethlehem sky on that first Christmas. As they appeared to the shepherds, they announced peace on earth. They said, glory to God in the highest, Luke chapter 2, verse 14. Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace goodwill toward men. That was the message of Christmas. It was the purpose of Christmas. Christmas is that moment where the Prince of Peace came to this earth to establish his kingdom of peace. The Bible tells us in the book of Romans that the kingdom of God is a kingdom of righteousness, peace, and joy. And the Prince of Peace came to establish that kingdom. The Old Testament prophets had said that a Messiah would come and that his name would be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Prince of Peace. And the kingdom that Jesus came to set up was a kingdom where he reigns over our lives and he governs our lives. He governs how we do life. He governs our decisions. He governs how we treat one another. And he does so in order to establish his peace over our lives, over our families, over our relations. How many are thankful for the Prince of Peace today? But what we have to do, yeah, what we have to do as followers of the Prince of Peace is we have to give him that reign over our lives. We've got to give him that place of dominion over our relationships and how we do life and how we treat each other. Last week, we talked about pursuing peace and the things that you and I can do to really pursue peace here on the earth pursue peace within the context of our relationships. We talked about prayer. We talked about living what the Bible teaches. We talked about governing our thoughts, right? Uh, to, to really uh, practice good stewardship over our thought life. Cause you'll never know peace if you let your mind go wandering off any old direction. And so we talked about how important it is to have good stewardship over your thought life. And then we talked about how important it is to choose righteousness over being right. I would rather be righteous than right. And, and that those are some of the things that you can do to pursue peace. But the obvious question then becomes, well, what if I'm doing all those things, but the person I'm in conflict with isn't? What if they're not praying? What if they're not living by the Bible? What if 
they're not really managing their thought life, you know, in a stewardship capacity. What if, what if they would rather be right than righteousness? What about them, Jeff? I'm glad you asked that question because the Bible actually answers that question. In Romans chapter 12, verse 18, here's what the scripture instructs us. It says, if it is possible, watch this, as far as it depends on you. We're not talking about the other person. We're talking about as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. So what I've got to do is I've got to make sure I'm praying, I'm living according to the scripture, I'm practicing good stewardship over my thought life, and I am choosing to be righteous over right. And then I'm going to put the other person in God's hands, right? I'm going to give that person to God. However, having said that today, I believe there is one other measure that we all need to take in order to ensure peace. Because remember, Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers. He didn't just promise blessing on peacekeepers. He said, blessed are the peacemakers. You go make peace where there is no peace or where peace doesn't exist. That's the blessing that God uh, has really assigned us. And so there's another measure to making peace that I think we often neglect. We'll pray, we'll try to live according to the scriptures and all those other things. But this next measure that I wanna introduce in our message today is one most of us avoid at all costs. And by the way, it comes at a great cost. It costs us many relationships. It costs us sometimes even right standing with God. And so today it's so important that we see our responsibility as peacemakers in this I'm going to call it the missing piece as it relates to peace. I know that's a little bit of a play on words, but it absolutely is often that missing piece when it comes to the Prince of Peace reigning over our lives. Loving confrontation is what I'm talking about. And notice the adjective, by the way, loving confrontation is often the missing piece when it comes to peace. We have no peace in our life. We have no peace within our relationships with those that we care about simply because we're unwilling to confront. Can we get honest today? None of us really enjoy confrontation, right? In fact, if you do enjoy confrontation, you probably need therapy. We don't like it. It's uncomfortable to us. And yet it's something we must do if we're gonna make peace where peace does not exist. But notice the adjective. I'm not just talking about confrontation. I'm talking about loving confrontation and there's a great difference. And so I wanna share a passage with you from Matthew's gospel, chapter 18. I'll read verses 15 through verse 17. And these are the words of Jesus. Here's what he said. If your brother sins against you, go to him and show him his fault, but do it privately just between yourselves. If he listens to you, you have won your brother back. But if he'll not listen to you, Take one or two other persons with you so that every accusation may be upheld by the testimony of two or more witnesses as the scripture says. And if he will not listen to them, then tell the whole thing to the church. Finally, if he'll not listen to the church, treat him as though he were a pagan or a tax collector. Most of us find ourselves at odd with somebody who we feel like has done us wrong and we jump right to the tax collector posture. 
And we start treating that person as though, hey, I don't have to have anything to do with you. I'm gonna cut you off like a bad habit. I'm gonna kick you to the curb. And that is not at all what the Bible prescribes. In fact, the Bible has very, very stringent guidelines as it relates to making peace where peace is missing. And we need to make sure that this peace of the process is not missing, but that we actually commit ourselves to it because confrontation, loving confrontation will, I believe, really help us to see us restored to that brother that's offended us, that brother that is at odds with us. The truth is confrontation can be either the corrector or the culprit of conflict. It can either be the culprit of conflict if we do it wrong, or it can be the corrector of conflict if we do it right. How many want to do it right? Say, I do. All right, then let's delve in this together. Let's kind of unpack this scripturally together, and let's take a look at some steps toward loving confrontation. It begins with, number one, you preparing your heart. Long before you ever sit down with that person, your heart needs to be prepared for that confrontation so that it is done in a spirit of love and graciousness. We need to prepare our heart. As I say that, something that I want you to really, really get, if you don't get anything else I say all day, I want you to get this. As you prepare your heart for this loving confrontation you're about to engage in, do not assume that you are right. Your confrontation with this person can't be based on an assumption. I mean, no assumptions get us in trouble. It can't be based on an assumption that, hey, I know I'm right. I know that person's in the wrong and I know that I'm right. Listen, assumptions lead to dissension. Assumptions lead to dissension. And so we've gotta be willing to own something that I think most of us are often unwilling to own and that is you may be wrong. Do I need to test my mic to make sure it's working here today? You may be wrong. In fact, I think it would be so liberating. I think it would just be so good if we just acknowledge that together. It's gonna be hard for some of you to get this out. Some of you have never used the words I'm about to give you ever in your life, but I want you to say it with me. Say, I may be wrong. Some of you are like, I may be wrong. If you posture yourself in loving confrontation with that truth fully embraced, I'm telling you God can do something with that relationship. I'm telling you that God can turn that conflict around. If we simply posture ourselves along those lines, God can do something. What I've just described to you is really humility. And do you recall that the Bible said God gives grace to the humble, but he opposes the proud. As long as you let pride stand you, stand you before someone in co- confrontation with the attitude that I'm right, I know I'm right, there's no way I could possibly be wrong. Listen, God can't really give any grace to you in that situation. In fact, all he can do is oppose you. I want God's grace, not God's opposition. And so I need to posture myself before someone in loving confrontation with the truth fully embraced, I could be wrong in this. Jeremiah 17 verse nine really sheds light on what I'm trying to say to you today. Jeremiah chapter 17 and verse nine said, the human heart is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? 
Now we hear a passage like that and we can absolutely apply it to the person we're in conflict with. We go, oh, I know their heart's deceitful. I know that it's wicked, but we never stop to consider maybe it's our own heart we don't know. Maybe it's our own motive that's wrong and we've gotta be willing to embrace that. How do you do it? Well, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15 says, in your hearts, set apart Jesus as Lord. Make him Lord of that situation. Make him Lord over that conflict. Make him Lord over how that conflict is going to be resolved. In fact, our motive in confrontation should always be restoration. Our motive in confrontation must always be restoration. Why am I going into this exchange with this person? Because I hope to be restored. I'm not here to say I'm right. I'm not here to even determine who's right and who's wrong. I would rather be righteous than right. What I want is I want to be restored to my brother. I want to be restored within this relationship. Y'all with me? My, uh, my good friend, Rhett White, he's a properties manager of our church. He and I were at a meeting a couple of weeks ago. We were meeting with those that govern the city. We were meeting with them on the closing of the property next door. By the way, if you haven't heard, uh, we just added 15 acres to our footprint here at I-10 and I-49. Come on, give God glory. Oh, thank you, Jesus. So we were there to meet with city officials and the uh, real estate agent that had been representing the other party selling the property to us uh, was there as well. We've met him several times. We got there that day and y'all, this is, <laughs> I'm not making this up. We got there and my man's shirt was inside out. <laughs> How do you show up for a meeting with city officials with your shirt in, I'm telling you, his pockets just like flapping in the wind. And I'm just standing there looking at him and I'm thinking, my goodness, I mean, how dishuffled he must have been in quite a hurry today. And, 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 but Rhett Wyatt, bless his heart. He is such, that he can be Kanai, if you know Rhett. But he's such a peacemaker. He really is such a peacemaker. And he immediately just walked up to the guy, put his arm around him, whispered something in his ear. The guy quickly excused himself, went to a private place, changed the shirt back, you know, right, and came back to the meeting before we had to meet with the fathers. Can I tell you that sometimes you're going to show up with your shirt inside out in life? Sometimes everything's going to be inside out. What I want is peacemakers in my life that are gonna step in and love me enough to confront me over my inside out existence. Come on, somebody. Come on, somebody. And, and I wanna be that person that loves you enough to say, dude, your shirt's inside out. Let's get this right with God together. Y'all with me? Here's what we do. Number one, we prepare our heart. Number two, secondly, what I see in the passage is we keep it private. We keep it just between us and that person that we're in conflict with. Now, let me real quickly make a disclaimer because obviously you need to talk to God about it. Before you talk to anybody else, you need to talk to God about it. And then I think it's always wisdom to bring in a trusted advisor. But the person you're gonna bring in to advise you is someone you have given full right and responsibility of speaking honestly into your life. You understand the kind of person I'm talking about? Someone who loves you enough to tell you when you're wrong. Someone who's gonna tell you not what you wanna hear, come on y'all, but what you need to hear. 
It's, it's wisdom to bring a trusted advisor in to advise you on the situation as you present the facts to them. But let me just say this, and I, I think it's so important that we recognize this. Other than God and that trusted advisor, the person you're in conflict with should be the first person you talk to about the conflict. Not everybody else. And yet, that's exactly sometimes what we do. We talk to everybody else about it and not to the person that we actually could resolve the issue with. We talk to everybody else, but we don't talk to him. Y'all are looking at me like I'm preaching at the wrong church today. Talk to everybody else. Listen to what the Bible said in Proverbs 26, verse 20. Without wood, a fire goes out. Without gossip, a quarrel dies down. All of a sudden, this thing is all over town, and you're wondering, how in the world did that happen? You're how that happened. Because you talk to this one, and this one, and this one, and this one, and they love you. They love you, and so they took on your offense. And now they're sharing it with this one, and this one, and this one, and now the whole town is talking about it. Let me demonstrate what's going on. Bud, come on up here. Bud and I are in conflict. Jason, come on up here real quick. Chad, would you come up here real quick? Uh, come step up here and help me. Austin, come help me, would you? Me and Butter in conflict, probably because he's wearing the same sweater I am. How did that happen? So, so, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to grab my friends. I'm going to say, Jason, you see what Bud's wearing? I think he did that on purpose. Get on over there, Bud. Hey, hey, wait, Chad, listen. Don't you think his motive was just totally wrong on that? He wanted everybody to think that I meant for that to happen. Hey, Austin, you can't believe how Bud treats me sometimes. And, and I'll, now do you see, you guys just stack up right here. Right here. Do, can you see how many people are between me and the person God wants to restore me to? But if I would keep him out of it and him out of it, if I keep him out of it, now he and I can do business before God, we can get this thing resolved. Help me thank my friends for helping me out today. Listen to me. That's been a picture of some of your life just this past week or this past month. You've been stacking people up between you and that person that God wants to restore you to. Every person you share your offense with separates you further from the person God is trying to restore you to. We can't let it happen. We've got to be peacemakers. So we prepare our hearts. We keep this private, but let's just say the person that you've tried to appeal to in a humble posture has stiff-armed your efforts, and they still don't want to admit their responsibility. Then the next thing the scripture tells us to do is involve a third party. But even in that, can I just one more time remind you, we're not assuming anything. So even as we call on a third party to sit down with us to help us to resolve this, I'm not going to assume that once they've heard both sides of the story, because how many know every story has two sides? I'm not going to assume that once they've heard both sides of the story, they're going to side with me. They may actually see things I can't see. That's why I'm calling them in. They may actually comprehend what I cannot comprehend. And I've got to be willing to be the party that takes responsibility once both sides of the story have been weighed. Listen to Proverbs chapter 18, verse 17. He who pleads his cause first seems right until another comes and questions him. So what we want to do is bring a third party in to help us, someone who's going to come in with objectivity, who doesn't have a dog in the hunt. Y'all understand that Louisiana slang? Y'all know that? He doesn't have a dog in the hunt. He doesn't have a horse in the race. And he can speak objectively to this and both parties are willing to concede. All right, now, what happens 
if your brother you're at odds with stiff arms your personal effort, he stiff arms both you and the third party that you brought in, what do you do then? Well, Jesus said at that point, you tell the whole church, but it doesn't mean you get up on Sunday and go, you're not gonna believe. It's not not at all what he's saying. What he's saying is you go to church leadership. You go to church leadership. All through the Bible, that is a scriptural principle to call church leadership into conflicts like this. And so you call church leadership and church leadership begins to weigh in on what's been presented. Now listen to me, listen very carefully. So important that you understand this. You both have to be prepared to submit to church leadership. The word submission is an interesting word. It's actually made up of two parts. Sub means to be under, like a submarine or a sub pump, right? And then the term mission means, you know, what we're here to carry out. Church leadership is gonna help both of you come under what the Bible calls you to carry out as your mission so you can be restored. And that's why the Bible tells us to do this. In Hebrews 13, verse 17, it says, obey your leaders, submit, there's that word, submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls and will give an account for their work. Let them do this with joy and not complaint, for this would be of no advantage to you. In other words, the advantage goes to the one willing to submit to godly counsel. Can I say that one more time? The advantage goes to the one willing to submit to godly counsel. Even if you still feel like he's wrong and you're right, if you submit to the godly process, God will find a way to bless you. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. God's gonna cross the T and dot the I and you don't have to worry about that. You sound very convinced. Give me a better amen. God's fully capable of that. Now, what happens if you're, brother who's brought offense to you, stiff arms you, you and the third party, and now you and church leadership. And he just walks out and goes, fine, I'm not going to be a part of this church anymore. Nobody ever does that, huh? We don't know, we don't know if anybody that's ever done that, do we? What if they just go, oh, that's the way you're going to, if you're going to take his side, her side, then I'm just leaving. What happens then? Well, the Bible, Jesus said, you treat them like a sinner or a tax collector. What we think Jesus meant by that is not what Jesus meant by that. He's not telling you to cut that person off, right? He's not telling you to do that. What do we do about sinners? We pray for them. What do we do with tax collectors? We give them what we owe them. You may not like it, but you give them what you owe them or you know what? You're gonna end up in jail. Can I tell you that the spiritual application is there. If you refuse to give what you owe this person that has stiff-armed every effort you've made to be restored to them and you begin to build up bitterness in your heart, it will imprison you. You'll be the one serving time and so you've got to pray for them and you've got to give them what you owe them. You can't just write them off is what I'm saying to you. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 21, the Bible said that I can never say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head can never say to the feet, I don't need you. You can never say to that person who's a part of the family of God that you're at odds with, oh, well, I don't need you after all. You can never say that to them. 
because they're part of the body of Christ. I'm not telling you, you're gonna be able to walk in fellowship with them right now. If they've stiff-armed all your efforts, you're not gonna be able to, but you have to look at them as a future friend and believe that God is going to restore that some way, somehow, and keep handing out that olive branch every opportunity that you have. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Can I tell you something? My eyes at 57 years old aren't what they used to be. And they frequently let me down. They frequently frustrate me. Every time I've got to read fine print, I am so frustrated with what my eyes are now incapable of. But I don't pluck my eyes out and throw them away like I don't need them anymore. No, I just give my eyes a little assistance. Some Walmart readers, baby, come on. I give my eyes that are letting me down, that are disappointing me, that are frustrating me, I give them a little assistance. Look at me, can we give one another a little assistance? Can we give one another a little assistance? The prize for peace in a relationship is going to be that relationship preserved. Can I tell you that every reward God gives us is relational in nature. And so that That brother that we win ultimately is the prize. It is the prize. It it, that relationship. It is the prize. It was a guy in the uh, 1800s who uh, he and his brother both amassed a great fortune. His brother had done it through oil. He had done it as the inventor of dynamite and other explosive devices that used nitroglycerin. The older brother died. And when they got ready to print the obituary in the paper, they got the two brothers confused and they actually printed an obituary as though it was the man who invented dynamite who had died. And the whole article was about how destructive this invention was and how it was used in wars and, and, and how destructive it was. And all of a sudden, can you imagine waking up one morning reading your own obituary? All of a sudden he realized, this is what I'm gonna be known for. This is what I'm gonna be remembered for. He had a great fortune and right there on the spot, he made a decision to devote most of his fortune to an award a global award that he would present annually to someone who was working most diligently for peace on earth. The man's name was Alfred Nobel. We know it today as the Nobel Peace Prize. Can I ask you a question? What are you gonna be known for? Are you the person constantly just exploding? Are you the person just wreaking destruction everywhere you go? Or are you going to secure the blessing of Jesus that he has reserved for the peacemaker?